You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and this is The Wellness Prescription, brought to you by Healthy Planet. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host from her home studio is Dr. Claudia McKella. Good morning. I'm sure by now you've been out in the showers this morning, already doing your morning walk. Uh, you know me way too well. I just finished my six-kilometer walk, followed by about a 30-minute full-body stretch. We all know that the benefits of being active and keeping the body moving is the best way to get healthy and to stay that way and to avoid illness. Okay, so you mentioned six kilometers. Is that a magic number? So walking in general has so many health benefits from lowering blood pressure, increasing muscle tone, you can improve your heart health and it's something that we should do every day. So yes, it's, um, I recommend walking. Six kilometers is not necessarily a magic number, it's just what I've made time for in my schedule and what I feel is great for my body because I'm able to do it every day. Um, and the reason why I walk every day is because it's a great way to reduce joint pain since it keeps the joints well lubricated and it strengthens the muscles around the joints that are going to be supporting the body. Should it be a brisk walk or should we be taking our time? So I recommend getting to the point where you're slightly winded but you can still maintain a conversation. Um, once again, I encourage everybody to get like a smart device for your wrist which you can track your blood pressure and your heart rate because you want to bring that heart rate up to about 120 beats per minute, sustain it there for a little bit and then watch it come down so you can increase your speed when you feel you're ready and when necessary and then you bring it down to like baseline. That's the way you're going to get the most benefit for your health. So my private practice, it's all about maintaining the integrity of the joints, but sometimes as we get older, our joints wear out a little and need a little help. Um, so I'm happy to say that there are so many options available for people who want to avoid invasive surgery and who also want to try alternatives. Now before we get into the alternatives, what do you provide in your own office space, your own clinics to help with these types of issues? So like I said, my practices are all about maintaining body movement. So we must keep our bodies moving. So uh, in line with that, our physiotherapists, our chiropractors, and our massage therapists are all about strengthening, stretching, mobilizing joints, getting you to a point where you can do these walks um, on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be fast, doesn't have to be a jog. You might want to build up to that, but that's what our clinics do. We encourage you to keep your body moving and we encourage you to do any activity that's going to promote that and is going to promote any physical activity. Now, you already completed your six clicks this morning. How many times a week do you do it? So now that I've had a little bit more time and the weather has been cooperative, I really try to go six days a week. Uh, but on an average, I walk about six to eight kilometers four days a week. And in terms of someone just starting out, what's your recommendation? Honestly, just give yourself 20 minutes. That's all you need. You don't have to um, calculate distance. I would just say walk for 20 minutes when you can. Daily would be ideal. Sometimes people like to break it up to 15 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, just whatever you feel your body can handle, um, but just get started because all you need is 20 minutes a day. And what about those who want to add weights to their walks? Because sometimes you see people doing that. What do you think about that idea? And is that a good one? 
it's not a bad idea. You just have to make sure that your joints can handle it. So some people, you know, you often see people with like weights around their ankles or even holding on to them. Not a bad thing as long as you have joints that have integrity and can handle the extra weight. One of the reasons why we walk is to reduce the pressure on the joints by weight loss. So adding the you know one to two pound weights is just going to add a little bit of weight bearing on those joints, and sometimes people will do that to increase the calorie burning in the walk. It's not necessary, but if it's something that your joints can handle, then go for it. And what about in terms of where we walk? You know, should it be along the sidewalk? Do you suggest maybe a bit of an incline? What are your thoughts on that? So I like to walk outside because I feel like it's better for our proprioception. So our ankles need to feel different varying grounds below us. Walking strictly on the concrete can be very hard. You know, even somebody who's walking on a treadmill, it's very hard and jarring on the joints. So varying it up. So, you know, if you have to walk on the treadmill because it's raining or snowing or cold, when you can, make sure you get outside. Uh, inclining slightly is always a good idea because that will help to increase the heart rate, which is your end goal. Um, so just a varied trail, uh, some concrete, some grass, some, you know, um, gravel, and then some treadmill is always a great option. Just be a bit dynamic about it. So before we take our first break, let's review the benefits one more time of taking that walk every couple of days if you can. Absolutely. It will lower your blood pressure, which is so important for heart health. It's going to increase the muscle tone in, and definitely in that is going to improve your heart health. It's a great way to reduce joint pain because it will lubricate the joints and it will keep the integrity of the joints because the muscles that are surrounding it, so the structures, muscles, ligaments, tendons around those joints are going to be well nourished and well flushed with blood. It's all around a great way to keep your body moving for years to come. When we come back, joint health and alternatives to replacement surgery. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059theregion or email us info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and this is The Wellness Prescription, brought to you by Healthy Planet. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. I'm Tina Cortez. Over to Dr. Claudia with today's guest. Thank you, Tina. Joining the conversation today is orthopedic surgeon Dr. Jihad Abuali. He specializes in sports medicine surgery and regenerative medicine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's awesome. And as an orthopedic surgeon, you must see some pretty extreme cases of joints being worn out and in need of replacement, for example, knee or hip. But at what point do you say that a joint must be replaced? Right. So it's important to find out what the patient's current functional status is, meaning what activities of daily living are they still able to do. For instance, can they walk long distances, go up and down stairs easily, or play with their children or grandchildren? Um, if these things are becoming more and more difficult to do and they're showing signs of advanced arthritis, this is ten, tends to be the time when we recommend a joint replacement surgery. Now, is there a certain percentage of damage that you measure or is there an age limit? Like if at a certain age, do you not have a joint replaced by surgery? So we tend to use x-rays as a way to tell the amount of arthritis a patient has in their joint. And generally, we are performing joint replacement surgery 
when there's bone-on-bone arthritis or it's getting very close to that level. Now, that being said, some patients can cope quite well with an arthritic joint, um, and other patients who have perhaps less arthritis on an x-ray might have debilitating pain or very poor function. So it's important to understand and listen to each patient's perspective. In terms of age, again, this is more of a guideline. Um, we generally kind of promote delaying a hip replacement or knee replacement surgery as long as possible because they don't last forever. And certainly if you were to get one at a younger age, um, you would likely wear this out. Uh, maybe in about 15 to 20 years, and you might require a second surgery, known as a revision surgery. So ideally, uh, our goal is to give you one hip replacement or knee replacement in your lifetime if you need one. And generally speaking, if we can get you into your mid-60s, then uh, that should be an ideal age uh, to get this surgery. And are there alternatives in order to delay an invasive surgery? And if so, what are some of the options? Yes, there are certainly a lot of options uh, to delay surgery. Um, We always recommend starting with the least invasive or simplest interventions before moving to more advanced options. So a great start is always a healthy diet um, and an exercise program to maintain good strength and um, mobility around the joints. And this can be done on your own or perhaps seeing a physiotherapist or a chiropractor for therapy. Uh, Moving forward, if these uh, options are not working out, we do have more advanced options, including braces, uh, medications, and often injections. And so I have been hearing a lot about PRP being used not only by and for athletes. Is this an effective treatment option that has long-term results? And tell us a little bit about it. Yes, PRP is definitely an exciting treatment option that was first used in the athletic population. But more recent evidence has shown that it's actually more effective in treating patients who have osteoarthritis. Essentially, this treatment works by using a patient's own blood, uh, which is then spun and filtered to create a highly concentrated amount of plasma with platelets. Uh, These platelets are then injected into the arthritic joint to help alleviate pain and reduce inflammation. And it creates a healthier and stronger joint by using the patient's own biology. So many Studies are showing that this can be quite effective for longer-term pain management, uh, and it can last anywhere from one to three years of improved function after a round of PRP treatment. And how often is the patient having the PRP treatment? So it depends on the severity of uh, the arthritis and the joint that we're treating. So a round of treatment can be anywhere from one injection to three injections. And again, we hope to get at least a year uh, to three years of pain relief. From it, it can be safely repeated in the future if the patient had success the first time around. And so for the non-athletes, so like a person who, like myself, just wants to simply be active and stay healthy, what do you recommend to maintain the integrity of the joints? Um, you know, if we're still relatively pain-free without much arthritis. Right. So again, you know, nothing can ever replace a healthy diet and routine exercise program. Uh, We know the stronger the muscles are protecting the joint, the less force and pressure will go through the cartilage, um, and it will will wear down at a slower rate. Um, So that's by far the most important factors out there. Now, many of my patients will tell me, you know, it's too painful to exercise because they have some arthritis, and then that's when I start to, um, you know, promote or prescribe treatments, including again, some braces, injections, and occasional medication. 
And is the PRP treatment, is it painful? Because you're re-injecting their own blood plasma back into the joint. Does that hurt? Right. So taking the blood um, is very routine. Just like if you go for a regular blood test, it's probably the same amount of blood or maybe a little bit more that you would draw from the patient's arm. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes to process uh, the plasma before it's re-injected into the joint. Uh, with the technique that I use, I uh, combine some local anesthetic into the joint as well as ultrasound guidance so I can be quite accurate with my injections. This way we can keep the patients uh, most comfortable. The entire process just takes about 15 to 20 minutes and patients can walk right out of the um, exam room when they're finished. So it's quite a straightforward procedure. And that was like, that's an interesting point. And I think a lot of people would want to know. So let's say somebody came in first thing in the morning for their first PRP injection. Would they be able to go about their day as usual? Would they be able to work out? Or what would be the recommendation following that? Yeah, great question. So my protocol is typically 48 hours of rest. Um, that, that means that they can still do their daily activities of living, so walking, driving, going to work if it's not a very physical or heavy job. Uh, but I generally ask my patients to avoid exercises, especially impact exercises for 48 hours. They can do some stretching and light mobility work, uh, but nothing that would put a lot of force through their joints. And are these injections covered by OHIP? Uh, currently, these injections are not covered by OHIP. Uh, some patients do have extended health benefits to cover it, um, or other patients are paying privately for the procedure. Um, it is a relatively new procedure, um, so unfortunately it's not covered by OHIP at this time. And so I have a question in regards to replacement surgeries. I just want to backtrack a little bit to that. So if some, sometimes a replacement surgery is the only option, what is the recovery like, and what can that patient expect if they want to return back to their activities? So the surgery, um, usually the patients will stay in the hospital anywhere from one to four days after, and possibly going to a rehabilitation center if they need further care. For a standard hip and knee replacement, patients are walking immediately after surgery, which is fantastic, but they will have some pain and weakness which can persist for several months. Um, they may need ambulatory devices such as crutches or a walker or a cane during this time. Um, before they're returning to activities that they love, it can be anywhere from nine months to one year. Um, and generally, these are lower impact exercises such as walking, golfing, and swimming. But we, we tend to um, not recommend that patients go back to heavier sports um, like running or tennis or skiing where there's going to be a lot of force to the joint. Can we talk a little bit about specifically the surgery? Where exactly is the incision if you're having a knee or hip replacement? So for the knee uh, replacement, it's an incision down the center of the knee. It tends to be about 10 to 15 centimeters in length. And for the hip, there's different approaches you can have. There's three common ones that are used, um, known as the anterior approach, the lateral approach, or the posterior approach. Essentially, that means you have an incision on the front of your hip, the side, or the back of your hip. It's probably the same length of incision as it is for a knee replacement. In terms of the material, um, there's lots of different um, components. There's a metal alloy that's um, used to replace either the femur bone or the tibia bone. And there's generally something that fits between those two metal components um, known as a liner. And that's usually a, um, a polyethylene plastic. And that would be the standard 
material used. There are different combinations that can be used for the hip, um, such as ceramic um, or simply just metal hip replacements only. Um, but there is usually a standard hip, which would be a combination of metal and a polyethylene plastic. And so I've actually heard of somebody getting a partial knee replacement. What does that actually mean? So the knee is made up of three compartments, as we call them, or three locations. There's the inner side, the outer side, and the joint underneath the kneecap. It is um, common to get arthritis in just one part of your knee, and it can be any of those three parts that I mentioned. So if you have isolated arthritis to just one of those three compartments, you can get a partial knee replacement that just takes care of that one damaged area, leaving the other ones completely alone. That is less common. Most patients get a total knee replacement, which replaces all three compartments of the knee. But in the right setting, uh, we can sometimes just do a partial knee replacement. And so how common is that? So does everybody, how do you decide if somebody's going to get a full or partial? So mostly we are evaluating the x-rays to see where the arthritis um, has started or is advanced. So if, if we see arthritis only isolated to one area of the knee, then you can have a partial replacement. However, if you have arthritis that's set in, in the other areas, you would not get pain relief or complete pain relief if we only replace just the one area. So in those cases where we're seeing arthritis all over the knee on the x-ray, it is uh, the best option to do a full knee replacement. Uh, so if somebody had to have a partial knee replacement, is there a chance that they would have, you'd have to go in later and then do the other part? Or would you just you know, naturally decide to do the whole knee replacement foreseeing the future of you know, damage and arthritis? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are many patients who undergo a partial knee replacement that later on in their life will require a second surgery to replace the rest of the joint and get a full or total knee replacement. Um, if we are seeing signs on an x-ray that there is some arthritis that started in the other areas, even though it might be worse in one area, generally we recommend just to do the entire knee. Otherwise, um, a partial knee replacement might not give them full pain relief or long-lasting pain relief, and they may require surgery again at a sooner date. So it's best just to replace the entire joint at that time. And in general terms, are there more men or women as candidates for replacement surgery? And are you noticing that they're younger or older than they have been in the past? It tends to be equally distributed in terms of men and women having hip and knee replacements. Um, again, the general uh, age that we strive for for a joint replacement would be in the mid-60s. However, we are seeing a lot of younger patients go for total joint replacement surgery. And that can be for many reasons. I think one, um, we are tend, we tend to be more active uh, than we used to be, uh, which is of course very healthy for the body, but sometimes that can have some wear and tear on our joints um, from sporting injuries that can lead to premature arthritis. And the second factor is these joint replacements uh, are becoming much longer lasting. So instead of being really worried and concerned that we were doing surgery in too young of a patient in their 50s, for example, we now have material that can withstand more force and last a longer amount of time, so we're less hesitant to operate on a younger patient, knowing that they'll have uh, quite a long, um, you know, and, and healthy um, 
amount of time with their new hip or knee replacement? My practice is really based on keeping people as active as possible for as long as possible. Do you feel that this is the best way to keep the integrity of joints, maintain health by promoting activity, stretching, proper muscle building? Do you feel that that's a great way to avoid all the invasive surgeries way too early and then just maintaining with preserving the joints? Yes, absolutely. I think it's uh, paramount to try and stay physically active um, when possible to maintain the health of the joints. We know the stronger the muscles are, the better balance you have in coordination. It will really protect the joint from undue stress and pressure. And of course, maintaining a healthy weight goes hand in hand with that. If we are carrying a bit more weight in our body, naturally there'll be more force going through our, our joints, especially in the hips and knees. Uh, so maintaining a good healthy weight will also reduce pressure and keep the longevity of our natural joints. That's awesome. That's really great advice and it's something that I encourage everybody to do as well. Um, we, have, we could talk about this forever. There's so much information to share. So if listeners want to know more about you or just get information on what you do or kind of see what you're up to on a daily basis, how can they do that? Yes, I would encourage them to log on to my website at www.torontosportsdoc.com. That has a lot of information on some of the surgeries that I do as well as the treatments I provide. And in terms of a more day-to-day look into life as a surgeon, um, I'm also on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Toronto Sports Doc, where I post a lot of my um, surgeries and, you know, lifestyle as a surgeon, what I do day-to-day. That's terrific. At Toronto Sports Doc, we got that. And Dr. Claudia, please remind our listeners how to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Michaela or my new website, ClaudiaMichaela.com. That's our show for previous broadcasts of The Wellness Prescription. Go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region.